I, every day I woke up and I asked the question, what do I need to do to plant a church in New York City today? What's one thing that I can do today to plant a church? I was 10 years out, but I was thinking that whenever you realize that comfort is overrated, mm. comfort does not, comfort doesn't win a World Series. Comfort does not change the world. Comfort does nothing but help you sit in a lazy boy all day and, and um, enjoy what other people are doing from a distance that you're never involved in. Welcome everyone. Today we are joined by Donnie Willis. He is the pastor at Westchester Church in Westchester, New York, and has planted a daughter church in Manhattan, New York City. He is also the author of a great book entitled Good Butter Best. We had a wonderful conversation about his life and ministry. I asked him why a Louisiana boy felt drawn to start multiple churches in New York City. He told us an amazing story of how he ended up trending on Twitter. We discuss how to turn God-given dreams into reality and much more. You will love this conversation. You may be listening, but not following. Following us is the best way to stay connected and not miss an episode. To follow us on Apple Podcasts, look to the top right for the plus sign. On other platforms, just select follow. Now, let's get to the conversation. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Man, it is such an incredible honor to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was great connecting with you uh, at our latest Ministers and Leaders Retreat here in Australia. And uh, after spending a bit of time with you, I was like, man, I got to get this guy on the podcast, share his story a bit, but also uh, some of your wisdom uh, that, that you shared with us at, at retreat uh, and and uh, what you have experienced and, and what you can share with others. So, so grateful that you provided the time. I know it's it's a busy schedule, <laughs> uh, pastoring a church, a daughter church, have a family, uh, You've had a, a wild schedule this past month, so thanks for setting the time aside today. Yeah, man. Well, it, it's incredible honor. Being with you guys in Australia was just an opportunity of a lifetime for me, and getting to connect with all you guys, I felt like I was right at home. Everybody was just so kind, the <laughs> kindness of everybody. Um, I felt like the entire time that I was there, I always had a cup of coffee in my hand, and I never knew where it came from. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was a great experience. Uh, and I'm pumped up about today. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Had you ever, just a random question, but had you ever seen a flying koala before, before you came never to Never saw a flying <laughs> koala. I had never seen a koala, much less a flying one. Man. And that was like, that was epic. That made like that the whole wild. entire trip worth it. <laughs> you saw the video and I guess people would look at that and be like, oh, it's just a koala. I've never seen a koala jump i've never seen a koala like move beyond just sort of restructuring where they're sitting so that was pretty cool <laughs> it was definitely a i believe i can fly <laughs> moment oh man well yeah really uh, excited to have you on and i like to start out these conversations by um sharing a bit of your story uh your background just so the audience gets to know you a little bit so if you wouldn't mind um, sharing a little bit about you know where you come from uh, your background, that sort of thing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, man, that, so in a nutshell, I, I grew up in the state of Louisiana, which is in the Southern part of the United States, um, next to the Gulf of Mexico. And I, I grew up, you know, swimming in swamps and I've, I, from a very early age, I've just always enjoyed living. And I believe that, you know, that's how God kind of made us to do, um, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And, you know, just so growing up, I've always enjoyed a great adventure. Lived in Louisiana. Um, I was a youth pastor um, there for about 10 years in a couple of different churches. And then about six years ago, God uh, opened the door for me to fulfill a dream uh that had, that had been sitting on my heart for nearly a decade, and that was to move to New York. We moved to New York. We pastored two awesome churches. 
and you know, we, and there's so much that I could talk about here, but like the thing kind of coming to my mind right now is we, God, about 10 years before we ever moved to New York, God placed it in my heart to move to Mm. New York. That was something that God had put inside me, but I wasn't ready for it. And there was a lot of things that, um, we had to do in order to get there. Just a practical thing, like we weren't going to move 1300 miles to New York with any debt. So we Mm. worked hard to get out of debt. Um, We weren't going to move there with, there were some other things that practical things we had said that we're going to do. Like this was not a dream. This was goals. And we had this goal. We were moving to New York to start a church. That was the goal. And then we backfilled our actions to be able to make that happen. Um, But going back to like the background. So I was a youth pastor for a really, really long time um, in a town called Wisner, which was a town of about 900 people. And then I was the youth pastor in in a town called Thibodeau, which was like a church of 900 people. And then I was um, assistant pastor in a town of Moss Bluff, which is where I'm originally from. And God just opened up doors along the way to get us where we're, we're at now, pastoring in New York and Westchester, which is in the suburbs. And then about two years ago, we opened a campus in Manhattan. So it sounds like that you were born and raised in church. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was very blessed. Um, my family, uh, my mom's side of the family more specifically, um, has generational, uh, Pentecost in our veins. Mm-hmm. I would say, I, I believe that I am, uh, let's see here. One, two, three, third or fourth generation. Pentecost. Um, in the early 1900s, Pentecost came to South Louisiana and my great grandparents, um, heard about this tent revival that was going along, along the side of the river and they went and, um, that that's where our family's journey started. Uh, even more so a couple of years later. So the, the church that they were going to was on the other side of the river. Like they lived on one side of the river and the church was on the other side of the river. And at the time they had to take ferries back and forth um, to wow. church. And my grandfather or my great grandfather, excuse me, um, him and a group of men decided that they needed a church on their side of the river. And so they were just sitting around on the front porch drinking coffee and the idea came up and they made it happen. And so my great grandfather and some of his friends uh, started a church that is now the Moss Bluff Pentecostal Church, which is the church that I received the Holy Ghost in. And so I guess you could say I have church planning a little bit in my my blood. Yeah, it's in the DNA, man. That's really cool. So uh, you talk, you talk about how you've been involved in ministry for for quite a while, whether that's being a youth pastor, assistant pastor, and now lead pastor. When did you first feel the call to ministry? Was it something that was just always there, uh, given how you were raised? Or was, was there a moment where you experienced, you know, something greater? You know, I, um, I, I, I was not raised in a preacher's home. Um, my mom is a, my mom was a teacher. She just recently retired. She spent 20 years in the classroom. And my dad is an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, my uncle was a missionary to the country of Guatemala and to the country of Grenada and with the Windward Islands, um, mm-hmm. which is in the Caribbean. And uh, I don't remember doing this, but there's a video with some video proof. Whenever I was in second grade, you know, they had this massive wall um, that's that we had to ride on what we were going to be whenever we grew up. And my parents still have the VHS tape of this. Um, but I wrote on the wall that I was going to be a missionary because oh, my wow. uncle was a missionary. Mm. And I don't know that there was ever just a moment where I said, Oh, I'm going to be in ministry. It was just kind of the thing in the back of my mind that I always wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I was, yes, I was blessed to grow up in church. Um, but I was also blessed with parents who always spoke very positive 
um, about the church and the things of God and the ministry. And you, you would never, if my parents did have a negative thought about something going on in church, I never heard it. And so I think that just that positive atmosphere that I had the privilege to grow up in as um, really kind of helped foster that. But whenever I became, whenever I got into high school, I remember telling my mom, I think God's called me to be a preacher. And she kind of looked at me sideways and goes, well, if the Lord's speaking to you, he'll speak to me first. And he hasn't spoken to me yet. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, okay, well, we'll see. And then when I was a senior, I was like, mom, I'm going to go to Texas Bible college. And she just like, well, if you're going to do it, then do it. Mm. And it was, they never forced me into it. They never really encouraged it either. It was, all right, well, we're here if you need us. But if you're going to do this thing, then it's going to have to be a you and God thing mm. because ministry and calling isn't something that somebody else can put on you. It's something that you've got to figure out with God. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same as like uh, becoming an accountant, even though accountants are necessary, but it's, it's not this, it's not the same sort of uh, line of work. You know, there's, there's more to it than that. Uh, I have a similar story when I was wanting to go to gateway. uh, I had made that decision and I did well in school. Some, uh, I was sort of expected to go to university or, or whatnot. And my dad was a preacher, but um, the whole time that I had made that decision, I think the year leading up to going, he, he was like really kind of negative about it. He's like, you sure you want to go there? I mean, it's just, you know, Gateway Bridal College. and He's like <laughs> joking a bit, but also like really trying to make, you know, encourage me to maybe not necessarily go there, but just to think about it, you know, more deeply. And, but, uh, it was like a month before I left home to actually go to gateway that he sat me aside and he goes, yeah, I was testing you this last year just to see why you were going, if you were going for the right reasons or, or, uh, if you were just going because you wanted a glorified youth camp for, for a couple of years. Sure. <laughs> and, sure. uh, you know, I, I appreciate that because it, it made me think more deeply about the decision. It wasn't just an emotional one, but it was one that I considered and sounds like it sounds like uh, the same sort of thing happened with you and your family. Absolutely. Um, yeah. My, my parents were very, like they had such a high honor of the ministry. Like they, they, they honored it. It had been there in their lives. It had helped them through some very tough times. And they kind of, even though they weren't in it, they kind of had an idea of the expectations that it would, that it would hold. And the expectations are not easy. Um, whenever you really begin to dive down and think about the the role of a pastor, the role of a minister, um, that it's 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 a heavy calling and a burden, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. It's not like oh, I'm going to go get my general ed degree, and, and <laughs> it's um it is a very very high calling, as one man said why would you want to be the president of the United States if you're called to be a preacher? Mm. And because, I mean, the scripture says that we are saved by the foolishness of preaching. Um, I can't, I don't know why that that was how God chose uh, for us to be saved through preaching, but how can they be saved if they don't know? How can they know unless they hear? How can they hear without a preacher? Yep. And so I just think it's a, such a high honor and it's it, to be called by God. The calling of God is an honor. Mm. And, um, and, you know, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, there were some things that we wanted lined up before we moved to New York because I wonder sometimes, and I'm just kind of wondering out loud here, how many times does God call people into the ministry, but because of things like finance, they can't answer the call mm. because of things that that are hovering over them. They can't answer the call. It is very hard to answer the call of God on your life with with a ton of baggage. And that's why, like when it like whenever I was a teenager and I knew that God had a call in my life, 
it affected every decision that I made. I thought about it. Like I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And there were some places that I was choosing not to go and do, even though I had the options, because in my mind, I was called a God. And I would look mm-hmm. at my pat. I would like look toward my pastor and I'd be like, would my pastor go here? Would my pastor do that? Cause he's called by God too. And so it really began to set a path where, um, like it was, it was, it was all I wanted. It was, it, it drove and it's still all I want. I still don't feel like I have, um, I, I, I still don't feel like I'm worthy of it. It's mm-hmm. kind of one of those things like I owe, I owe to, so to my world, I go, <laughs> um, I'm caught. I am a, I am a debtor to the kindness of, of every minister who came before me. I am a debtor to people like, um, there's a pastor Burnett in this little bitty town called Reeves, Louisiana church of about 10 people, literally in the middle of the woods. There ain't nothing out there except a little church. Well, whenever, I was in high school. He gave me a chance mm. to, to, to minister. He gave me a chance to go preach in his pulpit whenever he knew that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so I am so grateful to not only the call of God, but to the kindness of others. Um, and whenever I just left you guys in Australia, the whole time I'm going up there in my mind, I'm like, why, why am I, why did they ask me to go up there? Ah, it's like, because what do I have to give? But whenever, whenever you think about the kindness of, of others and the call of God, it pulls something out of you to make sure that, you know, you, you pass on what you've received. Mm. Yeah, it's good. So you're the pastor, you mentioned it, of uh, Westchester Church in Westchester, New York. And you planted a daughter church in Manhattan, New York City. You, you talked about how... Uh, 10 years prior to you actually moving up there, you felt a calling, a leading from the Lord to go. Why New York City? Why, why do you feel like God called you there? Oh. At, a, at a general conference service in Tampa, Florida, I, got, I, was, I was helping work the home mission service. And they had given us signs to hold up and to walk out. And we were walking around this massive arena and I was holding up this sign that said Miami and it had (laughs) the, um, and it had the population on it. And like the preacher was like, I am Miami. And then like, I'd walk out and he'd be like, I am Portland. And he'd walk out with that sign. And so it's like this visual going on and I'm walking out on this sign and people are going crazy and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I put the sign down at one point and I just, I, 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 I fell on my face. I began to pray and um, I just felt something I, and I'm going to, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it the voice of God. I felt something that said, that's your city over there. And there was another sign that was face down. Um, and so I just, I got up, I walked over to it. I picked it up and it said, New York city, 8 million people. And in that moment, oh man, Greg, my, my heart just, it it just became overwhelmed. I had Mm. never really thought about New York city, but like, there was like this overwhelming feeling. And I was like, okay, this, this is what I'm going to work toward. I'm going to work toward planning a church in New York city. Um, and, and I remember there was a Bible college instructor there and I went and told him, the, after church, I said, God just called me to New York City. And um, he goes, come back to me in 10 years and I'll believe you. Mm. And and I was like, you're wrong. And I never let that go. I never let that go. And I'm thankful that he said that. Like, my heart is so full of gratitude that he put that in me. Because he, I guess he knew my personality and he knew that that's what I needed. I needed that mm. little bit of a challenge. Unfortunately, um, he's gone on to be with the Lord. I never reached the 10 year mark, but every once in a while, I'm like, uh, Kai, if you're listening, 
made it. <laughs> yeah, and, that's um, awesome. And so, you know, that, that was kind of like the moment. And once I had it, it, it was just a bulldog tenacity of this is the call of God. I cannot let go. Mm. Yeah, I felt that. It, some people describe that as like a burden, you know, the, the overwhelming feeling that, that you experience. Like I, I've had that uh, over the last like year or so. I can't really explain why. But just get emotional about things, you know, feel almost like a heaviness. Um, but yeah, it's hard to really to describe to people unless you, you've actually experienced it for yourself. Um, but that, that that's a, an amazing story. And I you can hear the wisdom in what he's saying because, you know, that's an emotional moment. Like if I talk to someone straight after uh, I had an experience like that, which was last year, I would hope that they would say the same. It's like, it's not, it's not enough to be emotional about people being lost, but, and we'll talk about that a little bit later when, when, um, when we talk to you about how you sort of make these God given dreams become reality because you unpack that in your book. So I don't want to jump too far ahead. Um, but I did want to ask you this question. I've asked, uh, other church planners, um, people struggle with leaving a comfortable situation. You know, they, they love people. They love God they've given their life to God, you know, they attend church, they serve, um, they're willing to do those sorts of things. But sometimes it's quite difficult to take that step to leave the comforts of a Louisiana, everything that you've known to go to a place like New York City, which you would not know. Um, how were you able to rise above that? What was it that beyond, beyond, I guess, the call of God, or maybe it was just that, but how were you able to uh, move beyond leaving the comforts of home? So obviously the call of God is, is one thing, but the call of God, quite frankly, is not enough. Um, I, now just a warning to everybody out there. I'm a storyteller and I wrap all kinds of things around stories. Um, I was, I was watching a baseball game recently. It was at the end of the baseball game, national champion, college world series, national championship. And I was watching the post game interviews and, one and the coach said at the beginning of this season i set the team around i said what do you want and one of them said we want to be national champions and he and the coach said in that moment i believed him Mm. and so the next question was what are you willing to do to get it and then we backfilled all of our actions in order to get that and we just got it. Mm. And I think we have a lot of ideas in our in our mind that float through our mind. And it comes down to what do you want? Why do you want it? And what are you willing to do to get it? It's like, I want to plant a church in New York City. And whenever you want that worse than you want to breathe, you'll leave comforts. And callings will become more important than comforts. And you'll realize that being out there, just looking in the terms of of church planning here, kind of narrowing it down. I wanted to plant a church in New York City. I didn't just feel called. I wanted to. And so every action began to drive toward that. That's why for 10 years, I have a filing cabinet full of information on New York City and how to plant Mm -hmm. a church. And stuff's antiquated and outdated, but every day I woke up and I asked the question, what do I need to do to plant a church in New York City today? What's one thing that I can do today to plant a church? I was 10 years out, but I was thinking that. Whenever you realize that comfort is overrated, mm-hmm. comfort does not, comfort doesn't win a World Series. Comfort does not change the world. Comfort does nothing but help you sit in a lazy boy all day and and um, enjoy what other people are doing from a distance that you're never involved in. I, I guess you say it like this: I, I the the calling of God is not a spectator sport. Mm. You cannot watch it. You have to participate in it. God is not calling for spectators. He's calling for participators. And whenever you begin to think about Elijah and Elisha walking over um, 
that brook where, where one is going to be taken and the other is left. If you look at that story, there are 50 sons of the prophet on the other side of the river watching it happen. Hmm. But only one comes back empowered. Only one comes back with a mantle. The other 50 just simply watched it happen. There comes a point where you have to say, you know, what? I, I am not comfortable where, where I'm at. I've got to move beyond my comforts into a calling and not just into a calling, but into action, not just into my words, but I want to backfill this with, with actions that actually make a difference in the world. Mm. Because we, we have something that is so awesome and co all comfort does. And I don't, I, I don't want to get like, well, maybe I do want to get super deep, super early on this thing here. But all comfort does is help you go to a grave without changing the world. Mm. And I want to change the world. And I believe that God has called people to change the world. Whenever you begin to look at the Bible verse that says many are called, but few are chosen. I believe that whenever we look at that, God is calling people. People are just simply not choosing to answer. Mm. The calling is on God. The choosing is on us. It's like if I, if I call somebody on the phone, I can call them, but it is their choice to answer the phone. And I believe that God is constantly calling. I believe somebody listening on this podcast right now, God is calling you to do something awesome. But what will you, will you step away from the comfort and into the calling? There's a book, um, it's, it's called The Leader Shift. Uh, it's by uh, uh, John Maxwell called The Leader Shift. And the very last chapter in it is a contrast between what he calls careers and callings. Uh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, careers and callings. And talking about the difference between having a career and having a calling. And that really, that chapter really helped me because what we're doing it is not a career. Is a calling, but you cannot just be called. You've got to put some legs and some feet and some hands into it and, and turn it into something real. Yeah. Uh, at, uh, because of the times there's a preacher, he was talking about how, um, Paul said, you know, I press toward the mark, the prize of the uh, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And his whole point throughout the message was that the mark hadn't moved that, you know, just because we've seen the church grow, just because we've experienced growth, um, doesn't mean that that God is still not calling us to forsake all to follow Him. You know, and He went through these places in the world and places in America, and and I could go through places in Australia where where the gospel isn't. And it's like, well, how are they ever going to hear? As you said earlier, you know, how are they to believe? How are they to hear unless someone is willing to go? You know, and. Uh, yeah, go ahead. That's like think about the sea. Um, is it? It's called Coastal City, right? Uh, Central Coast. Central Coast. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, think about Central Coast. Um, you, you've a couple of trips driving through there and whatnot, and God placed it on your heart, and you began to think, man, there's, there's not a church here. Mm. It's like, and then you know, your next thought was, why not me? And, and out of that burden and that love for people, it, it, it was a call to action. And now if, if, um, if, if everybody out there listening hasn't done it, you need to go find his church on Instagram because it's, it's awesome and go follow it. And because even though it's a small church, they have done things exceptionally well and not only exceptionally well, they're, they're reaching their community. And so this idea that it is like impossible to do and it's, and it's hard. Yes, there's a hard, yes, there's a thing. And yes, there's a comfort level that you walk away from, but the benefits on the other side mm -hmm. is so much greater than any comfort. Yeah. Like seeing people's lives change, having those preview services, that's better than comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what stops people a lot of the times and and you know, they're 
uh, please, hopefully not everyone is turned off by two people who are church planners talking about this, but, um, you know, I think that's what stops people sometimes is they focus too much on what they're going to lose as opposed to what they're going to gain and, or, uh, you know, what, what they're going to miss out on as opposed to, uh, the, the lives that are going to be forever impacted by decisions that they're making, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, you're just talking about, um, your own story being the great grandson of, of a couple who decided to go to a tent revival. Well, someone had to set up that tent. Someone had to preach that message, you know, and, and without someone being willing to do that, who knows where your family would be. And it's, it's left, left a, a lasting legacy on your family. Um, you know, that, that's the power of the gospel. <laughs> it it changes everything, you know, it's, it's like a stone thrown in a river and it creates a ripple. Somebody throws the stone, but you can't stop the ripples. Mm. They're just going to keep going and going and going and going. And that's how I view legacy. And that's how I view um, the gospel. You cannot stop it. It's so powerful. You know, in Second Kings, Ahab goes up and he asks a, um, he asks a farmer. He, he says, hey, at Naboth, give me, give me your vineyard. Because uh, it's right up next door to my kingdom. Um, and maybe says, no. He says, okay, trade me your vineyard and I will give you a better piece of ground. And he says, no. And he says, all right, sell it to me. And he goes, no. And Ahab asking, he's like, why won't you buy it? Or, or, or why won't you sell it? Why won't you trade it? And he says these words. He says, the Lord forbid it that I would give you the inheritance of my fathers. Hmm. And we have been handed like this spiritual vineyard with trees in it that are called righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit and holiness. And we have been handed some beautiful things. We have been handed a vineyard and there is nothing that the world can offer that could make us trade it. Mm. And I look at what I've been handed and, you know, I can't, I can't sell it and I can't trade it and it has to carry on to another generation. What happens if one person or one generation decides, well, we don't, we don't agree with this anymore or we don't like that anymore, whatever. Well, what happens is that thing disappears. Because mm-hmm. um, if you think about it, the church is always one generation away from extinction. And so there has to be something deep in our hearts that says, this is, this is worth it. This is Mm -hmm. worth it. Not for the comfort. This is worth it for the eternity. And so whenever we have eternity in our heart, it just, it changes you. Yeah, that's, that's good. Good stuff, man. Well, uh, I want to talk to you about your, your book, um, for those who, who haven't read it or haven't seen it. Um, it's called good butter best, not good, better, but uh, best but good butter best and uh, you talk about the importance of dreams and and how you make them a reality in that book and and that was one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about uh, in this conversation uh, can you give us a, a bit of a backstory about how you became uh, hashtag butterman uh, <laughs> which I guess would be uh, the impetus for you writing this book yes and and just a little plug out there to um all my wonderful American friends that'll be listening to this. If you have Sirius XM radio, um, there's a channel called off the rails, which is ran by NBC's today show. And this holiday season, starting around Thanksgiving, be listening for my voice because I just did some voice work for NBC, um, for their off the rails podcast. So, Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> so that it stems from um, what Greg was was talking about um, a couple of years ago. I got the opportunity to be in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, uh, which happens every Thanksgiving in November. It's a really big deal in New York City. Uh, it goes down Sixth Avenue. That millions of people are there, and um, I dressed up like a stick of butter, uh, <laughs> like a literal stick of butter with the word butter right down the middle, a pat of butter on my head. <laughs> it so was, why did you, why did you dress up like butter? Cause I know, I know um, you did it, but why? Yeah. So there's a family in our church 
incredible people. She, um, she's actually the executive producer for the parade. And I, you know, just kind of stemmed out of this, Hey, if there's anything that you need or whatever, um, I'd be happy to serve. And she, um, she had something for me <laughs> and it was a butter costume. <laughs> I was like, All right. You got jokes. This is awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, uh, good sport went and did it. Um, uh, but during the parade, you know, we're running, we're running down central park, uh, West and there's a turn there at, at Columbus Avenue, which is at the corner of the park of central park. And Al Roker, which is the meteorologist for NBC, he wanted to do some butter jokes. Um, and <laughs> so they paused me. They said, butter guy, stop, hold on. And then I went over there and he said, I hate to butter you up, but you got to move on. <laughs> and I jumped into his shot and just started screaming, happy butter Thanksgiving. And, and he shoved me away. Well, whenever he shoved me away, um, it went viral on Twitter. And... <laughs> I did not know this at the time. You know, I just think, okay, fun moment, move on. Well, a little bit later in the parade, he flies by me on his scooter. And um, I don't know what came over me, man, but I I began to run faster. And like I ran up next to his scooter and I threw my, now you got to remember, this is like a three hour parade. Yeah. How did I know? I mean, how was I supposed to know that he was in a live shot at that exact moment? <laughs> I got jumped in his camera. I started screaming, butter on your ham, butter your turkey, butter everything, just butter everything. <laughs> and he, and he, they pulled the camera away from my face and they're like, yeah, that's why everybody loves clowns. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just kind of kept going, kept running down the street. Um, well, I made the turn there, uh, the, the last turn in front of the Macy's store and, my wife who was sitting in the grandstands, she jumps out into the street and she's like, Donnie, Donnie. And I was like, oh, okay, we're going to take pictures with the kids. We're going to, uh, you know, and like, she's like, what did you do? I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, babe. It's like, I've done a lot of things in my life. I need you to be very, very specific. <laughs> um, and she's like, all we do, we keep hearing your voice. They keep talking about the butter man. She's like, you did something. And I was like, I, I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. And you know, during the, like, you're not supposed to carry your phone with you on the parade route. So like, I stuck it right here in the collar of like, right on my shoulder thinking, yeah, it's going to stay there the whole time. Um, but it definitely fell down my shirt and it's sitting in like my lower back, like it's lodged there. And like, I feel it vibrating mm -hmm. the entire time on this parade. I like felt like I was getting shocked. It's like <laughs> you know, sweat rolling down my back and it's vibrating. I was like, oh, I'm going to get electrocuted. <laughs> but, um, and whenever I pulled it out, like whenever we finally got there, like I, I pull up my phone and it's just like, it has blown up. Um, went viral on Twitter um, twice, uh, especially after the creator of Hamilton, uh, Broadway uh, retweeted it and then it just it went it went super viral both moments and the Today Show called uh, Lady at Macy's and was like hey who's the who's the butter guy um, actually I think they used the word drunk teenager uh, <laughs> and they were like actually um, actually that's Pastor Donnie <laughs> and they're that's like well we'd, lo we'd love to have him and so I've been on a I've been on the Today Show twice, which is you know national broadcast for uh, uh, NBC, and um, uh, done some other things for Macy's, uh, and and God is just God has used that, you know, Greg. That's mm. uh, like a fun story, and it's amazing and everything. But what I what I learned through all of that, you know, church planner here, New York City, you need about a billion dollar budget for marketing and advertisement just to even think about being seen. Mm -hmm. Like how does a church planner be seen in a city that is all about marketing and advertisement? It's like, yeah. it's how do you do it? And the Lord dropped a thought in my mind that simply said, I am your PR. And he, and from that moment, 
God opened up so many doors for radio, for TV, for, for advertisement. And he, and God put a scripture in my heart and it's simply this. And I believe that this is the core of everything that we do and everything we know and everything we understand is this one singular verse. And it's, it's not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit. And whenever we begin to truly be led by his spirit, he can open doors that we didn't even know existed. He can make ways that we didn't even like, we are like, I didn't have Twitter. <laughs> and yet viral on Twitter. <laughs> and God has just done the miraculous. But whenever we just, but none of that could have happened if we wouldn't have left our comfort zone. Mm. Whenever God told us to do what God told us to do in the moments he told us to do it. And whenever you do that, he, he just opens doors. I, I just, I believe that. And so you, you rolled that into this book where you talk about dreams and, and how to turn um, God-given dreams into reality. Why, why do you believe that we struggle to do that? Um, you know, many of us have gotten dreams. Many of us have been given dreams. And the reason I ask you that question is the last month or so, maybe the last couple of months, I've been having different people on to talk about God dreams. And uh, it was sparked by a conversation I had with Simeon Costa, and he talked about it at length, and we were, we were going through that. And he was challenging people to think about different ways that God can use them, maybe outside of, of, of the norm of, of what is expected within church culture. And so I've had a few people in the last uh, few weeks who God's using in, in different ways, whether it's being a content creator in social media, encouraging people that way, comedian, uh, writing children's books, um, you know, sharing uh, Instagram carousels that that help people develop in their ministry. Um, but you know, God is, as you said, God is planting these seeds. He's He's calling us, and so on. Why do we struggle to turn that into an actual reality? Where um, you are in the process of turning that into reality in New York. So a dream is one thing, right? Everybody, everybody has a dream. Everybody has something that they they want to do. Um, but so how do you take a quote unquote daydream and turn that into a reality? Uh, first of all, it doesn't just happen. It's not mm -hmm. something that, oh, well, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z or whatever. No, th there's, there's definitely something more to it. Um, you have this, so you have a thought. Um, every, everything begins as a thought. Um, the problem with our thought life is that 80% of all the thoughts that we think are absolutely negative. Um, mm. So how do you become, I mean, how do you override a negative thought? How do you find that 20% of positivity um, to, to be able to say, Hey, this is, this is something. Um, one of the things that I like to do, and I'm just kind of uh, give a practical here of something that anybody can do is I highly recommend taking 10, 20 minutes of your day with a, with a piece of paper and a pencil and just simply write down everything, put brain dump at the top of the, that's what I call it. At least I call it the brain dump, put brain dump at the top of the paper and whatever comes to your mind, just write it down and then step away from it and then come back to it and say, okay, what is a good idea? What is a bad idea? And then what is the God idea? Mm. Because I do think there's a difference between a God idea and a good idea. I mean, if you look back at the garden, he said, don't touch the knowledge of the, or don't touch the knowledge of the tree. You can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would he not want them to know good? What's wrong with knowing good? Mm. Well, the thing was, is they had a relationship with him. He wanted them to know a relationship with him. And so I think we have these three types of thoughts constantly running through our mind, God, good and bad. And we've got to figure out a systematic process to eliminate the good, eliminate the bad and find the God. And so, but whenever you find, and what are those things? Those are things that simply glorify his kingdom. It's, it's simple. Anything that brings glory to God is a God idea. And so, but we've got to be able to move on from that, from that thought and, and turn that into a decision. Am I going to pursue this? Yes or no? 
make and, and because before you ever make some actions, you have to internalize and convince yourself, I am going to do this. Mm. Um, you have to have a conviction in your own heart before you can ever ask somebody to have a conviction in their heart. You have, uh, I have made up my mind as pastor that I am not going to teach or preach anything that I, number one, I don't believe. And number two, that I don't have a very strong conviction about Mm. because I can't ask somebody to have a strong conviction about something. If I don't have a strong conviction myself, because the moment that I walk away from it, if there's an idea that's good, that's decent, and I'm preaching as a conviction or, or, or I'm just about to do something, then I've, I've put something, I put a stumbling block in somebody else's life. And so we have to be able to be convinced of, of, of our dreams. And this is a God thing. You got to be able to believe it. Like there has to be a solid belief in your heart that this is right. Um, mm. And then you got to have action. Action is everything. So five frogs sat on a log. Four decided to jump off. How many frogs are on the log? The answer is five. Because just because you decide to do something and doing it are two totally different things. Mm. And I understand there's a fear in doing because what if I mess up? What if I get it wrong? What if I fail? Well, I think it was Yoda that said, do or don't do. There is no try. (laughs) Like there's just something inside of us that there's a, I believe that God calls us to action. Mm. Um, And so, because the the thing though, is whenever action happens, whenever you decide to actually do something, reality is going to strike. Yeah. And reality is going to come and knock you in the face. And reality is going to be hard. Um, I tell this I tell this story in uh, in the book, but whenever Lewis and Clark were discovering uh, the Louisiana Purchase, they were trying to find a waterway from St. Louis to the Pacific Ocean. And you know, it started off nice in their little rafts with their travel party and everything, but then they come to an obstacle these people who were created for the river. They were created to be um, boat captains. They were created to, to sail the seas. They came to a problem. And the problem that they came to was the Rocky Mountains. (laughs) How does a group of river rafters climb the Rocky Mountains? And I think that anytime anyone decides to do something, there comes a point where you have to either trade in your canoes for mountain boots or you have to turn around and, and go back because it's not going to be easy. And, um, and so really, that's kind of what the book talks about. How do you take an idea and a systematic process to get to making that idea actually a reality? Um, because there is a process, it doesn't just happen. Um, and it, it, it requires thought and it requires a, a ton of doing. Yeah. Uh, I heard a preacher once say that when, um, preparation meets opportunity, good things always happen. And That's you're awesome. talking about that. You're talking about that a bit at the beginning when you're saying, um, you know, you can dream, but then, uh, with that dream, you need to start putting steps start taking steps, putting things into practice. Like, you know, what if you were sitting at Bible school and you had the dream for New York City? And you're like, okay, I'm just going to wait, wait for God to open the door and then it's going to happen. And then 10 years later, when the door actually opens, if you hadn't done any preparation in the process, you hadn't prepared yourself by being, uh, growing a, a, a youth group, being a youth pastor, being an assistant pastor, continuing to grow um, and prepare yourself for that dream, for for the calling that God had in your life. Uh, uh, the book's great. And, and you know, feel free to share there yet. I'm sorry. Uh, as, as you were talking, I, I had this other thought um, in that process, whenever I was in Bible college and after God had given me the idea, Hey, go plant a church in New York. Um, I didn't just research online. Um, 
I found people. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, there was a, there was a man who came and did a missions conference at TBC. I heard that he was connected to missionaries all around the world. And so I went and like ran up to him, shook his hand, said, my name is Donnie Willis. God has called me to pastor in New York one day. I was like, who can you connect me to in New York? And he just kind of like taken aback. I was like, because I know that it's going to take people who already know. Mm. And, and he did, he handed me a phone number and he, and he goes, Hey, are you going to general conference? I was not going to general conference. However, I said, yes. <laughs> and I figured out a way to get to general conference so that I could meet this one man whose name was Steve Smith, because that's who I was told was the guy that I needed to meet. Mm. And I went and met him and built a connection. And I was like, God's called me to New York one day. And I was like, what can you teach me? What can you pour into my life? And about once a month, I'd call, this was my only connection that I had. Mm. But that was the guy. I was calling him. What's God doing in New York? I want to know. I want to be connected to it, even though I've never been there. And um, because if, if you're going to, if God has given you an idea, who are you talking to? What are the connections you're choosing to reach out to? Um, you need to find one, two, three people who can speak into your life in such a way that they can help facilitate that dream because you cannot do it by yourself. Think about um, Walt Disney. Walt Disney did not build the Magic Kingdom and Disney World by himself. He had a brother named Roy. Mm. And Roy was a mastermind with finances and with project management and with the practical side of things. Well, Disney was a great dreamer, but he had this guy named Roy in his corner. And I believe that, that you cannot do this thing alone. If you have an idea, who is the, who is somebody that will quickly believe in you and help you along the way. And those are the people that you need to attach yourself with and connect to. Um, because those are the people that will, will help make the journey a little bit smoother. Yeah. It, and what I like about the book is, is you unpack a lot of that stuff and, and you put in, as you said, practical steps with stories and illustrations. And it's, it's a great book. I got it on audible. I've been listening to you, uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, listening to the book. So he does his own reading. So if you do want to get it on audible as well. Uh, you would get to listen to him read it as opposed to somebody else. I, I always enjoy listening to the author if I'm going to get it on Audible. But uh, definitely check that book out. I'll put a link in the show notes for you guys to, so you can find it a lot easier. Um, but I want to ask you this question. I ask everyone who comes on the podcast as we're wrapping up here. What drives you when it comes to ministry? What is it that is that driving force for you? I love God. And I want to please God. And I know that God died for a lot of people. And I want people to love Jesus as much as I do. He has been good to me. You know, Greg, whenever I think about the goodness of Jesus and all, I know that's a song, but it's so true. I want to do something. Um, I am not, I am not good at letting people do things for me. I always want to repay them. I always want to participate. Um, I'm, I'm just not good with that. And whenever I think about the fact that what Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago on a cross to take away my sins and pave a way for me to go to heaven, and the fact that there is absolutely, and it was a free gift and there's nothing I can really do to repay him, in my humanity, I have a desire to. And so it's like, what can I do? It's like, well, I can point people to him. Hmm. Um, I was sitting, uh, I was sitting in a worship service and, um, and, you know, I began to look at all of the people in our church because our church has just grown so much. It's grown faster than, um, than I can keep up with, to be honest with you. And I began to look at all these people and I was like, God, I need, like, I need help. Uh, um, because I, it's just becoming overwhelming. And he, and he dropped a scripture in my heart. I think that's why it's so important to know the word is because God can drop scriptures in your heart. 
And, um, and it was simply this, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. And, and it clicked. I was like, I've got one job and that is to lift up Jesus. And if I lift up Jesus, he will draw people and he will draw people in such a way that it, that it changes their lives. I've got three, I've got three goals for my life. Three things that, that I want to do. I want people to know, number one, I care about them. Number two, I want to make their life better. And number three, they can trust me. Those are the things I want people in my church to know that I, that I deeply care about them, that I want to make their life better and that they can trust me to do that. I believe that if I can constantly answer those three questions for them, because I believe that's what they're asking about me, they want to know, do you care? Can you make it better? Can I trust you? If I can answer those things and point people to Jesus in the process, then yeah, that's what drives me. I, I deeply love him. Um, like the last co- last six years living in New York, I've needed him. Whenever you leave your comfort zone, kind of like, um, my, I know that seems to be a theme in this um, podcast, but whenever you leave your comfort zone, like my wife and I did, you learn that you need him. And the song I need the oh I need the every hour I need the it's not just lyrics anymore it is a lifestyle. And whenever you become so dependent on him, I mean, at one point my family and I was living in a very very uh, not the best of hotels um, for a while, and it was it was hard, but I learned that I needed him, and I want other people to learn that that as well because it is the greatest life that could ever be lived because he is so wonderful and um and i would i would i would definitely say that that's um that's kind of what drives me and in through the sacrifices the experiences that you've had it's connected you to the people that you now pastor you know in the lives that you're seeing transformed week in and week out um yeah it's been great having you on. I knew I would enjoy chatting with you. You know, we did this in a car <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, so I'm glad we were able to actually record it and other people can listen in on on the conversation. Uh, thank you so much for setting your time aside. I do want to encourage everyone to go out and grab the book. Uh, you will be blessed by it, and uh, and uh, you're gonna help uh, this butter man uh, in the process. So. Uh, I wanted to uh, give you an opportunity. We like to finish these conversations by giving our guests the opportunity to share a word with the listeners, whatever God's laid on your heart, bro. Thank you again for your time. And and we've been blessed by it. Thank you so much again. And before I share that word, I would say, I absolutely love your podcast. It is (laughs) great. Um, And you know, whenever I look back at some of the guests that you've had and what looking at it on Instagram and and listening to, I, I feel like Paul, whenever he said, I'm the least of these, and so it is such an honor to be on it. If there was one word that I could leave everyone with, it would be this. Babe Ruth, a New York Yankee great, has what I believe to be the greatest sticky note quote that could ever go on a computer screen. And it's this. Yesterday's home run does not win today's game. So, meaning, I'm thankful for everything God has done in the past. I'm thankful for all the growth in the church. I'm thankful for everything that God has done for all of you out there. I'm thankful for your successes. I'm thankful for all. And I celebrate, man. I I celebrate with everybody who's had a great moment. But um, I just want you to know that was great. But today's a new day. Let's get a new goal. Let's, let's, Let's achieve something else. Yesterday's home run doesn't win today's game. So let's do something great for the kingdom today. Let's put our hand to the plow and and do something new today. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity. Let's open our ears to hear what God is saying and let's actually do something. Um, So let's do something. Last story and, and then I'm done. Christopher Columbus is coming back from 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 finding the new world. He's sitting he's sitting in a restaurant with some of his friends. 
And um, his friends were kind of giving him a hard time saying, man, anybody could have done what you did. All you did was get in a boat, go to the other side of the world. Anybody could have done that. Um, and so he's kind of listening to him. He, he sees a hard boiled egg on the other side of the bar and he asks for it. So he picks it up and he hands it over to his friend. And he says, can you stand this egg up on its end? And so the friend takes it and it rolls down. He tries to lift it up and rolls down. He goes, man, I, no, it's, an, it's impossible. You can't, can't stand up an egg on its end. So Christopher Columbus takes it, smashes the bottom of the egg onto the counter, and it smugly stands up on its end. The friend goes, oh, anybody could have done that. To which Christopher Columbus responded, but you didn't. Do, do the things that you see in your mind and let's, let's actually do something. Let's not be the, but you didn't type people. And so let's, let's do something great, man. Let's do something great. And, uh, I encourage everybody out there. Let's just, let's just do something. God bless you.